0: The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Couture, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week.
1: Oh, yeah. Is it the, the, our oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, I wish I had
0: my <laughs> Viognier. Well,
2: that was a good it, morning. We wish
0: we had your Viognier today.
2: Good morning, uh, poor. Anyway. At least a third. I of coffee, a hey, everybody. Wine Welcome to the Winemakers. Wine I'm John Myers <laughs> with you know Brian it's Casey Bart Hanson, Sam Katuri, fresh off the Grateful <laughs> Dead. So, who knows what he's going to be like today? So. He has a glow
0: about it.
1: <laughs> I, I, he's
2: I am to look. here. Mentally or physically? the second
1: giant cup of coffee Really did a better job than the first one of cutting through <laughs> the cobwebs. I'm sure. Uh, and then a little splash of Vini I helped, too. Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect and,
3: case of more is more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you are
2: hearing our very special guest, friend of the pod, friend of ours, Nicole Rollet from Shen Blue. And, well, you've got yeah. Fine Minds for Fine Wines, Rini Global, all this stuff. We had very your nice. husband, Xavier, on, uh, what, three weeks ago? Xavier. Xavier. And... What a wonderful, wonderful uh, interview that was. Really fun show. So. He's a
3: really special guy, and it's good that you got a chance to chat with him because he's a bit like a snow leopard. He's always behind the scenes, but nobody ever has a chance to meet him, <laughs> and uh, he's actually the brains of the operation, so it was good that you had well, a chance to meet him. welcome to
2: Summer in Sonoma.
1: Sonoma is the home of the Snow Leopard Conservancy. Yes, it is. Which yes. has an office <laughs> over by the, it's by the by Fairmont. The Fairmont. Fairmont yeah. I don't know, not. I, they do, and it's just this tiny little building, and I don't know... Exactly what they do uh, to conserve the snow leopard, but they have they an help. office that's been there forever. They help. Uh, they help. They, they help. do something <laughs> very helpful for
2: the snow they leopards. They take cash from
3: here and spend it over there yeah, exactly. on snow leopards. Why not? It's a good, good a, business plan. I like exactly it already. The model.
2: <laughs> There's plenty of money here to take over exactly. there. So. Well, welcome again. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast.
3: I'm delighted to be here. Oh.
2: Where have you? I been wish everybody could weekend? see this
3: setup. It is so incredible with your little table outdoors and the flowery tablecloth and all the wines and glasses everywhere. Wow, this is <laughs> the way to live.
0: We're well, evolving.
1: We are <laughs>
2: slowly. Well, slowly. This is the way we do it here. <laughs> so, right.
4: Well, uh, I mean, people that have listened to the podcast from the beginning are probably familiar with Nicole and the Sean Blue project a project i call it because it literally the was capital that. p
3: don't forget the capital capital,
4: capital yeah. p i mean a priory from like the ninth century and, uh, and yeah yeah, yeah. What, uh, what
0: episode was that let's reference that
4: uh <laughs> episode 53
0: 53 okay when we we
1: live from the, the girl in br- the fig during like a weekend brunch right it was you know we had taken up a giant table and all the attention of the servers meanwhile there was you know 300 people looking to cure their hangover from the night before
4: we're not we're not
2: demanding (laughs) we just
1: wanted oh yes no i think well that was it It was we had we had the best party going that morning
4: and we i mean i don't know how deep we want to go on nicole's introduction i mean um we can go back to her one-year-old birthday party sitting at the table with the you know her (laughs) mom being a food writer her father being a wine collector talk about schooling at vassar we can talk about david rockefeller and think tanks but why we love her is because of her passion uh for wine and that's that's what you know most of us first met nicole is when she was over here in the united states and we would see her at hospice um, Hospice and see her at the Girl in the Fig, and we enjoyed her wines, and so we've just been all uh, fans um, from the beginning. So it was actually really cool to meet Xavier and and get the. Um, uh, he didn't really tell the other half of the story. Um, <laughs> He's very modest. <laughs> yeah, but but Nicole's journey into wine and then taking over this. Um, Piece project. of property in the Ventoux is just an amazing story, and I guess we referenced the episode. If you actually want to go back and listen to this whole project, the the one thing that I always remembered um, Nicole from you telling me is that the, you know the the property was in a state of disrepair, and the the I think it was a couple that was fighting over ownership or it was a divorce settlement or something. And so the sheep, um, yeah. basically sheep had taken over the property. And so <laughs> the one thing that always sticks in my mind is this, is this image of how high the sheep shit was in this <laughs> house when you guys had to go in there Talk and basically dig it there. out, right? <laughs> um, I tell stories when I tell wine, you know, when I sell wine. And so the imagery of walking into this house and just seeing Feet. Uh, oh, I mean,
3: <laughs> and the well, petrified sheep dung. I, yeah. Talk
1: about, you know, we said fifteen thousand foot view. Maybe that's the the three thousand. About meter, how high 5, it is up there? View <laughs> of of Sean Blue. Just oh, to...
2: I've driven up that road. Right. You... It's a scary road. Yeah. It is. There
3: are basically two kinds of people that come up that little winding road. The guys who come up pale with their knees shaking and immediately needing a drink and then the ones who are just springing their step they've not had that much fun in a long time oh, yeah, we had and fun. they need a drink it's definitely property. a challenge
2: so what are you doing with the old blue oak tree now
3: hmm the oak tree You're skipping to the punchline yeah right right well yes that was a uh, that was really sad when it fell a couple of years ago it was one of those classic things we knew it would happen they had when we decided to paint the oak tree with copper sulfide we put a lot of um, uh, thought into what that would mean when one day it would leave us and we were told it had about five years on it and it stuck with us about 15. I still cried, you know, and your grandmother, even if she lives to whatever age, uh, leaves this world or your dog, whatever, it's always sad, even though you know it's coming. So I gave a lot of thought to how to replace it. I did a little reach out to everybody and anyone, I think you got the email saying, hey, any ideas, what should we do with this (laughs) to replace uh, this oak tree? And long story short, through that reach out we were put in touch with some really exciting designers slash architects slash sculptors based in Italy and uh, we have an interesting project which we're hoping to unveil in the spring with a giant party if you want to come and see the new oeuvre we're gonna Uh, be there next spring too uh, it's a nice it's a nice metaphor you'll see how
4: how did you involve people because I know originally when you were looking for a name for the property that was something it was almost like a contest and you let people submit um entries and then you finally decided on the bleu to sort of um immortalize the the oak um, that was on the property so this time what did you do you said hey does anyone have an idea of how we should um replace the The tree and did a bunch of artists just say hey i can create a 50 foot um um crystal um tree kind
3: of like that kind of like that um i think every time i get to a a dead end and in, in the first case there were four of us doing the heavy lifting on the project my husband and and me obviously but also this um Uh, his sister-in-law and her husband and the four of us couldn't agree on a name for the wine so we went back and forth a lot until we had this idea to reach out to this all the stakeholders around this project and it was really exciting it really helped us get lots of good ideas going so sort of yeah. crowdsourcing of ideas this time around it was similar and I just believe in that right that's on my label right non-mihi non-tibi said nobi it's not mine not yours but ours anybody who wants to get involved in any aspect of what we're doing is very welcome mm-hmm. and we're always happy to help others other winemakers other um, people in the in the wine community people just starting on their wine journey who want to know more and lead them to places like this to podcasts like yours or people who are veterans and think they know everything and are ready to venture off the beaten path into the new unexplored areas especially in france because people tend to go to france as the new world i mean the old world and and thinking that it's going to be all about tradition and yeah. reference points uh, great masters from which they'll take inspiration for cutting-edge new stuff. And I think it's fun for them to uh, discover that even within traditionally old-world countries, there's a lot of new, exciting stuff happening. And the regions that are less known tend to have a bit more freedom. Freedom in French winemaking are often not used in the same sentence. And so the... Ability to work in a traditional area, but in a relatively non-traditional and more experimental ways, is, I think, a really exciting space because it creates a tension, a juxtaposition, a contradiction between elements that don't often come together in the same in the same place, and that is always in any art form uh, a, a space that's very creative and very challenging. And on the winemaking side as well, I think having having the, the tension in the, in the winemaking between being very far south and very, very high up, and, and all the contradictions that come from having that, the, the big, the fat, the opulent, and then on the other side, this kind of elegance, finesse, restraint from the altitude. That also is, is where I tend to gravitate. I like complexity. I like new stuff. I like respecting the past, but experimenting. And finding my way through that maze of what do you keep from what's already there, and what do you, you know, where do you innovate, and what do you change? That's a very exciting space, which yeah. is personal, right? Other people are very happy, safe in their traditions, with their boundaries, and all the rules and regulations that come with French winemaking, and and all of that. And other people love sort of, you know starting from scratch and just throwing everything against the wall and see what sticks but that's not where i am
4: but you you guys were also lucky that you weren't put into a box be, because specifically right. of the region and the geography that you were in you weren't and can you we, sort of can, intersect I, I, yeah. a lot of different um areas right
1: yeah, can, can we like do the yeah just for those who you know who haven't gone back to listen to episode 53 yet uh yeah. <laughs> exactly to the best you can describe it without a map, uh, you know, in a, in a <laughs> oh, non-visual medium. Now that's a challenge. Uh, yeah. Where the where the estate is, and you know, uh, uh, both ge- you know, geographically, geologically, and how it sort of intersects
0: several or at least a few AOCs, right? And yeah, and, 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 and w- I just want to add one more thing to that. <laughs> all the and, questions, all at right. once. Yeah, can, can, can you also talk about? Also, can yeah. you talk about Vontu and, and the mountain? Yes, um, because Von as Toux, we learned last V-word. year. From the last uh, hospice last year, that was a great panel you guys had, oh, I'm and glad you all did. those wines were so aromatically beautiful. Oh, the one too? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it was it was awesome. So,
3: yeah. well, I'm glad that we're sort of starting to get the word out and, and change the hearts and minds of people because you know that France is a bit of a caste system that way, and people think they know more than they often do about what's better than what and why it is that way. When, in fact they often haven't really tested that in blind tastings and other other things. So we're actually in the foothills of the Mont Ventoux, which, as many people know, in district terms, it's part of the province of Provence. It's mm-hmm. the northern province called the Vaucluse. But as you also know, the wine map in France doesn't often match up with the province map, which is not true in many other parts of the world where, you know... Sonoma, Sonoma, Napa's Napa, right? All that. Whereas um, it, in, in in France, the redistricting is so different that, in fact, we're in officially the heart of the Southern Rhone. So if you look at a two-dimensional map, you're going to assume that being right above Gigondas and next, you know, very close to chateauneuf du pap and all of that area, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know what to expect. Uh, Big, juicy, flavorful Grenache, lots of good texture. But, ooh, let's watch those alcohol levels. Ooh, you know, is it over the top and all of that stuff? I like the the more restrained wines. Am I going to be in kind of palate-burning territory? (laughs) Uh, If it's not well made, the wine from that region can be quite dense and not everybody likes that style. So if you look at the third dimension being so high up in this little eagle's nest right a little piece of gigondas and then going up another hundred meters from there uh you're talking on average between 16 to 1800 feet which for us is like super high i mean there are uh very few vineyards that thrive at that altitude they have to have the right soils right Mm -hmm. conditions etc
1: for for reference like people who know sonoma or napa that's about as high as we get for vineyards. Also, you know, Maya Comas is at about eighteen hundred feet. The top of uh, of Corbin Cameron goes up to about twenty two. So you know, we're yeah. that's the Moon Mountain District uh elevation for reference. So yeah,
3: and and also now everybody's rethinking a lot of that stuff, right? right. Because you're with global warming <laughs> coming down the pipeline there scouring the globe for places that have altitude right and that have... Xavier
4: mentioned that a little bit about Nepal which was one of the most interesting things that came out of his mouth yes that that's day. That, that's an ex-
3: exciting project that yeah. uh, the Aoyun uh, vineyards there and yeah so from that point of view he's always 25 ahead, years ahead on, on stuff oh. and everything <laughs> so uh, never take a long-term bet against him uh, and and he was quite prescient about the helpfulness of altitude in winemaking and how that brings this this fresher dimension. So to your question, you would, if you were to come to visit us, you'd drive to Vaison-la-Romaine or Malocène, which are right at the foot of the Mont Ventoux. And then you'd head up the mountain past the little village of Christet. And then you'd drive for a good 8 or 10 minutes, which is not that long, but it feels long because there's nothing else. You go through these woods and you're sure you're lost and that your GPS has put you on the wrong road and all that stuff. (laughs) That's a
2: tiny one-lane road.
3: Exactly. You call me and you say, I'm sure I'm lost. I haven't seen you yet. And I just say, keep going a few more minutes. And that's where we are. (laughs) And you'll find us in the heart of this UNESCO Biosphere Forest. So when I'm at the property, which is this ninth century priory, I just look out in every direction to forest with the exception of one side which looks down onto the valley and you see Vaison and the northern view is all heading that way so we have no neighbors we're above the pollution line and it's unbelievable when it comes to biodiversity and natural environment I'm happy that everybody started to plant hedges and bring in animal corridors and all that but this is the other way this is woodland with a vineyard um, and not the other way around, which has influenced our, our work very much since the beginning. That's something that,
4: that I've heard more and more of, actually, when people talk about regenerative farming is, the, is having trees on property is like a super important um, aspect of vineyards now. And even having trees close to the vineyards, and even some, I've seen vineyards where the trees are actually in the vineyard.
0: Well, you, you, you know, yes. it, it's interesting because you find that in Europe, right? We don't find it here. And there's a vineyard that I sourced some grapes from a while back over on the East side. And it had these Walnut trees growing in the middle of it. Well, no, but, but (laughs) it was Zinfandel. And so Zinfandel tends to, you know, want to burn in the hot sun. Mm-hmm. And it threw some shade on some of the right. stuff. It always got ripe. Huh. And then the first thing the new owners did, they came in, they cut down all the oh, lawn no. trees. Oh, yeah. no. And it was well, a shame. hopefully
3: that's going to be very much frowned upon from now on right. because people are really getting the hang of that stuff. Right. And they're seeing what happens when they don't go down that right because it's not even ideological at this point. For a little while, it was very subjective. And of course, you and your family have been pioneers and all that really important work and have done such a great job sam uh educating people about the importance of those things but it took a while to get people to listen right i mean it's even now Uh, it's a bit of a challenge
1: 40 years to be an overnight success yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean monocultures don't work very well
3: that's right and everybody's kind of backpedaling it kind of reminds me of that scene with the the coyote and the roadrunner and the community yeah. kind of rushes off that cliff and then suddenly they're like yikes right. and they try to Once backpedal you, and, in the you know yeah. <laughs> i think that's a metaphor for where everyone's going to be going soon if we don't change our ways i just watched that documentary um eating your way into extinction if you haven't seen that one you should put it on your short list along with kiss the ground and uh, biggest little farm and all those uh, yeah. those ones that are so important about you're know, bringing to the, general public, the understanding and the awareness of what happens if we don't change our ways and if we don't move faster than we are onto regenerative agriculture. And I'm a big uh, fan and and I consider myself friend of of Mimi Castel. And um, there's a bunch of us on the regenerative viticulture front that are really um, mm. trying to bang on pots and pans. But, you know, unless there's going to be a Hollywood movie or something, it's going to be hard to get people to... to yeah. <laughs> uh, well, actually, one of the things that came out of this Arani, uh m- meeting that we had uh, here in Sonoma a couple weeks ago was the interest and need for something like that to yeah. help move the dial. Call Otherwise somebody, it's gonna to be too Bobby, yeah. too late. So <laughs> anybody listening to this who has any interest in, and contacts in that world, we're putting together a really interesting group, a bunch of top people from Sonoma, people from from everywhere, have um some very exciting people with film and wine experience, et etc, who want to see if there 's a way to quickly get the message out before it 's too late and it 's not just viticulture we know it 's also agriculture, right. but we also know that viticulture is a one of the few windows that the general public is interested in in looking through, and we have a voice of b to c everybody else wants the farming stuff to be kept to the middlemen and then right. and, and we with yeah. wine have the opportunity to get people to know and to care and so uh, that's going to be exciting so definitely anybody that you know or anyone listening today just um, get in touch with me we have a really good group coming together and a big project
4: yeah and that, and to get back to the property one of the most I mean, what you guys did when you came into the property, and I mean, I think you, you looked at maybe 15 years it was going to take to get that vineyard um, back to where you sort of wanted it to be. And you brought in amazing people. You brought in Zelma Long. You brought in... Uh, Philippe Combi, which is why I opened up this exactly. because I wanted you. <laughs> I'm so happy when, <laughs> when I saw that you
3: opened A De Tête, yeah. I was so thrilled and I was going to start off with a little toast to him because yeah. he's obviously very sorely missed by so many oh, of us. let do, uh, let's, do let's have a little toast to Philippe because <laughs> he was a, a great man in, in yeah. every sense of the word. And he was so helpful he was and so helpful. influential to us at the beginning. Um, as was Zelma. Zelma was yeah. incredible. Zelma is a is an extraordinary person. Has Legend, she been on yeah. this show? She has, right? No, well, no she we hasn't. haven't gotten her yet. Okay, We'd I'll like to get I'll her help, and her husband. I'll, both. I'll help yeah. you rope rope them in yeah. um, asap because yeah. uh, they are living legends and yeah. what she's done for wine in general. Not to mention just wineries like Chien Bleu who had a, the privilege of, of working with her from the beginning. Just having Zelma come with her high standards and her worldview and assess the very sort of early stage tank samples of those grapes on her maiden voyage to Chien Bleu a million years ago. That was probably, we had almost finished the vineyard renovation. We spent 12 years just renovating one vineyard. This is not like... Oh, let me put my finger in the air. It would be fun to have a vineyard. Let me buy something and start making wine and slap some fancy label on it. And, you know, this is exactly the opposite. It's, you know, make sure that everything is on a really rock solid foundation. And to your question about geology... It is, unfortunately, a little bit too rock solid (laughs) because it's right on the edge of this tectonic plate, right, where the bottom of Europe has smashed into the the top of Africa and pushed the edge of the plate with subduction on its side. And you have Jurassic, Triassic, Cretaceous, all these very ancient soils and very little topsoil because it's on the mountain. There's lots of of, um, erosion. And so we're stuck with these incredibly... Painfully angular stones, the vineyard wow. vomit stones, backbreaking best, work. Best too. crop every year, right? <laughs> the rocks you pull out of the vineyard, thing. by
1: weight crushes anything. There you go. Yeah, we got
3: that. And exactly, <laughs> so we do it all by hand. It's it's a huge pain in the. You know what? And as a result, it uh, takes forever to plant new stuff. Now, the old stuff is doing great because once it, the vine tendrils make their way to those subterranean water tables, they are set for life. And our old Grenache is going strong. It's like almost 80 years old now, and it's just wow. full of, of piss and vinegar. So so that's fabulous for the old stuff. But we've lost several hectares uh, when we've been unlucky with our plantings and uh, specific weather conditions, which is also very hard when you're restoring stuff as you would know. So, uh with all of that, uh we we did spend lots and lots of time redesigning the blocks based on our observations and that takes many vintages to know what's what
1: is that like redesigning by road direction or variety and rootstock all of the above
3: all of the above so what's the main thing that happened is we inherited a vineyard that for various historical reasons that cannot be connected to logic was (laughs) sitting on top of four appellations where they connect way up in the mountain and it was literally like straight lines drawn in an office You know, between districts, it had nothing to do with people coming over like they No one was there. No one one came in, because we had no neighbors. There was no vested interest. It wasn't a valuable vineyard at the time. So it was, as you probably recall, a very prized historical vineyard in the Middle Ages with the Templars, et cetera. But then when they did the whole uh, Appalachian system... At that point, you probably recall that there had been an exodus from high pro- high altitude properties down to the valleys where people had mechanization, tractors, all that yeah. stuff. So they had abandoned these, these low yielding uh, old vine vineyards because the cooperators were paying the same for all yeah. kinds of qualities. So basically, when we came along, there were all these idiosyncrasies that didn't make any sense in terms of making wines to try to fit within these various appellation rules. So we just watched everything, we redistricted everything to be able to mix what we wanted with what we wanted to make what we thought were the better wines. And then if for some reason that fell within one of those appellations, that was great. And at the time, the Ventoux, which we have a big chunk of, uh, the Ventoux appellation was very sleepy, I can say this. I'm not the head of the appellation. It <laughs> wow. was perfectly lovely people, but they had grown up in such a caste system. They had been brainwashed into thinking that they were just, you know, cheap and cheery imitations of Côte du Rhône, which was a cheap and cheery imitation of Chateau Neuf du Pape. And it was kind of no, never feeling the confidence to have ambitions to make world class wine, always thinking of themselves as the go to for. Very good quality from the micro terroirs, but always a value play relative to the big boys, and then that's where a lot of the big négociants would go and source their wines and all of that. So there's a whole dynamic to keep them in their place, quality wise and, and price wise. They weren't supposed to try to elbow their way into the so almost like Lodi subset. for us, right?
4: Where it's you know, it's totally. it's um, yeah, people don't think of it as a as a fine wine um, until you get someone that actually treats it with respect and and starts making wines like that
3: yes you've got to show by example and then that's usually not good enough then you have to put it in blind tastings with a bunch of critics who all think that they know best and it's only when they're confronted with the reality of why that wine is upstaging some of the most iconic wines at three or four times the price, that yeah. then they'll start to rethink what they think they know. Plus and that takes to, time.
0: Plus you have to battle those iconic wines and those iconic um, appellations because they're they're trying to maybe not directly dismiss you, but they are trying to, just as you said, keep you in your place.
3: They have to because yeah. that's what incumbents do. Right? Right. <laughs> and I, I have great relations with the guys in Chateauneuf. And I think in general, people who make really great wine always have appreciation for other people who wake up in the morning trying to make really great wine. Uh, the In the case of Chen Bleu, the scale of our production is so petite that it's going to always be inconsequential relative to the, the yeah. big producers. And so theoretically, if they're being rational, they have a lot more to gain and a lot less to lose by letting new people in because mm-hmm. it only hurts... Helps the reputation. What they should be afraid of is people making crap and selling it a Châteauneuf or something else like that. Nice. Um, and like, <laughs> luckily, luckily, the 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 ecosystem in, in Châteauneuf today uh, has evolved so much with the good work of Michel Blanc and a lot of the people that are really looking after the Appalachian to focus on good stuff. Let go some of some of those little parochialisms that characterized those villages for a really really long time remember all the infighting there were two syndicates it was all that kind of the two
1: cartouches yeah so so
3: much time and energy wasted on that little stuff and fortunately a lot of those people being now world-renowned citizens of the wine world have uh, moved away from some of that at least that's what i've found they've invited me to be on the Chansonnerie of Chateau Neuf du Pape, you know, they do reach out to people in ways that would have been unthinkable 20 or 30 years ago.
1: Well, and one of the things um, that you've done, and one of the reasons we love having you on and talking to you is, you know, sure, Chen Bleu is, you know, this little eagle's nest, you know, uh, uh, remote from everything, small, but you've built sort of a, a hub of the international wine world through that, that your little spot on the mountain and, and, and I think pushed everybody to sort of, you know, make it, you know, let go of those parochialisms and the provincialness of, you know, classic French, French wine world Will you talk a little bit About you know The fine wine And uh, for fine minds Or great minds I don't know My mind's not great today
3: (laughs) Fine minds for fine wines Which has kind of Morphed into Into The Irani Live Which is part of this Bigger umbrella organization Which is the Irani Global Institute For the Future of Fine Wine Which I I co-founded with uh, the amazing Pauline Vicard, who I really hope you'll have on this show. She's something else, and uh, we
0: we hope you help us <laughs> <to> make <laughs> that happen. We'd love to help you with that.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, she's a real dynamo, and she's she's still very young in 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 wine and vine <laughs> terms. I think uh, probably I don't know wanna Talk publicly about her age because she might be self-conscious, but she's young <laughs> enough that she's not. She shouldn't be self-conscious about her age, and uh, and she's uh, so dynamic um, and has such a clear idea. She's also like something like an ultimate frisbee champion or something crazy. She's got that ability to kind she's of. one of us. You know, yes. get the. <laughs> Sonoma State. Yes, exactly. Um, but anyway, so uh, the point of all of that was to create a safe haven for uh, people to have those conversations that transcend all the daily energy that is put in and I would argue probably has to be put in to say, you know, my wine is better than their wine and my region is better than their region and my wine country is better than their wine country and all that stuff. And we have all the systems in place with the Appalachians and and God knows what and importers and whoever to do the short term competitive stuff to put lots of energy into scraping a few basis points of market share away from God knows who. But the idea is that every field that I've seen be successful for the medium and long term also develops in parallel to the stuff we need to do to pay our rent um, a a place where people can come together set aside all those short-term competitive pressures and share big ideas and you know magic wand, this is what we would want the wine world to look like, to ensure that we're all pulling in the same direction to, to raise that bar. And one thing you see a lot is that the fields that don't do that, that don't have a collective vision, that don't share best practices, that don't have those conversations, both kind of formalized in roundtable discussions and informally uh, as well in the right in the right context to be very creative and brainstorm and and work together and collaborate and those are the professions that are absolutely sh- you know shoved to the wayside. The fact that wine has been around for so long, we would argue the second oldest profession in the world. Wink, wink. Um, it's that, like the, is the chicken the and egg the egg the thing. I'm not sure which there. came yeah. first. There. <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> um, is ending up that there's, in my opinion, too much complacency about why that makes us entitled to continuity of relevance in a cultural uh, or economic setting. I think that if we're not guardians of the changing environmental truths of our profession, if we're not guardians of the legitimacy in terms of quality of product, but also communication of that quality, because we we are still wasting lots of time waiting for clients to come to us and spend all their time and energy getting to know how wine works, when obviously the people listening to this podcast have already crossed that barrier. They're already... Drinking the Kool-Aid because they think it's interesting and exciting to know more about wine. But how are we going to get those new generations to engage with everything we're doing? And if we don't ask ourselves tough questions, we're never going to get there. So one of the secrets to a rainy and I hope this is what I can contribute to the wine world, having transferred indirectly from other professions, is we always make sure that... like. 30 to 40 percent of the people participating in discussions whether they're at the think tanks or in any other things that we do are not from the wine world so that we don't have an ecosystem so we're not all sitting around self-congratulating about how great our products are and how wonderful our winemakers are and all that jazz when in fact it's rearranging deck chairs on the titanic and you know we're not understanding how other people see us and w- what they like and don't like about how we do what we do so i think those conversations are important when they started they were just important but i'm going to say now they're urgent and and, and i'm going to fly the flag for all the environmental stuff that needs to happen fast yeah. so, so, uh, so who are those I think people we're, we're <laughs> heading off the cliff like the coyotes yeah
0: so who who are those people like where those, who are those people that you want to be there is it literally anyone who shows interest or are you are, are is there that 40 percent who yeah. who makes up that 40 percent yeah
3: yes yeah. so the if you notice carefully in the title of orini it's the global Institute for the future of fine wine it doesn't say wine and we can get into a whole conversation about why that is and what constitutes a fine wine and you know well
4: I like Hugh Johnson's description you
3: yeah, I that's a great shorthand, you know, yeah. wine worth talking about. That's yeah. just open enough and just true enough to yeah. get by. If you want to get into forensics, you know, we can get very can get animated more about that. And if after a few glasses yeah. of fine wine, the conversations <laughs> can get very meaningful. Yeah. But in essence, all fine wine will be affected by a bunch of different variables and levers that we've tried to Isolate as best as possible. It may not be an exhaustive list, but the first one is obviously what happens to wine in general. So regulation, for example, if the surgeon general or somebody wakes up in the morning and decides to ban all wine as being poisonous to health, uh, fine wine will be just as affected as the next guy. Uh, Then you have things that have to do with environment, which will affect a lot of people, including fine wine makers, global warming, etc. But then there are things that are specific to the fine wine universe. For example, well, um, fine wine is purchased by people with purchasing power. Where's that going? What's the future of geopolitics 10 years from now? Who's going to be ruling the roost? Uh, who's going to have the disposable income to buy or trade that stuff? Uh, that doesn't affect the supermarket wine or whatever. You're going to have a future of technology, which is really interesting, how wine and technology are going to interact in a world that's going to be dominated by all that. NFTs or whatever, one could argue, is also specific to fine wine, etc. The future of culture in general, millennials, Gen Zs, uh, uh, all of those people. What's happening in the art world? Uh, What kind of art is being appreciated? Probably that's going to have a knock-on effect on how we define what... constitutes a fine wine, etc. We can be here all day if you're interested in those people. Topics. If you're the kind of person that has the kind of intellectual bandwidth to go beyond just what's in your bottle and how it t- tastes and how it was made, then probably Araini is a great resource. Yeah. Uh, there's you can join as a member. You can listen to a bunch of free stuff and there are podcasts and there's white papers and all sorts of things. But the idea is to be complementary, not com- you know uh, uh, confrontational. confrontational. With all those great wine bodies that are already out there doing a great job for their mandates like the institute of masters of wine or this or that we're not there to step on any toes we're only there to fill a gap between stuff that's somehow fallen through the cracks and not really been handled in an objective, you know, safe space by anybody else in the wine world, and that's why it's very inclusive, and that's why we collaborate with a lot of those guys, like we did just now with uh, the, you know, California Institute of Wine, all sorts of things. We love yeah. to have those kinds of collaborations.
4: Yeah, well, it seems like you've taken, actually, it's not like you're magnifying things, it's like you're, you're sort of, coming up and taking a broader view and um and and incorporating a lot of things that you know some people are just making wine and they're they're doing their thing trying to pay their bills
3: absolutely as we all are you know and but that's my point if you don't make time in your busy life to think about whether you've programmed the right address into the gps you know it's just as much time and energy but you might end up in a place that wasn't right for you or for wine in general, or for the planet for that matter. that's why it's helpful to do that in collaboration with others. It's hard to do that on your own. No. It's hard enough to do that for yourself on your oh, big thanks. birthday or whatever. Totally. You're like, where am I at with my life? If I'm happy with this, that, whatever, do I need to rejig a few things? Do I need to, no. you know, and that's, that's the idea is to do that on a more collective level in the wine world and all right. opinions and all backgrounds are welcome. So, You know, even if you're not a wine professional, you're going to have insights onto what you think the the fine wine world should be doing, and we want to hear them.
4: Yeah. At what point did you decide that, hey, the home vineyards doing okay? Maybe I can start to branch out and start to do other things.
1: Have you made that decision? Yet?
3: Yeah. I mean, no, I mean it seems all. like you, <laughs> it
4: seems like you have though. I it's, mean, you've it's, been traveling it's a lot. hardwired
3: into who I am. I mean, obviously having worked at the think tank world in my previous life, that yeah. has a lot to do with it. I know I've learned firsthand what the value of it is and how that works and how to structure that kind of thinking uh, collectively and not just individually. But it did come out of the the, the 10th anniversary of Chen Bleu commercially, right? It was our... It was 2017 and we said, okay... Do we just have some big party and do a bunch of self-congratulatory stuff saying, you know, yay, us? Or do we just open a bunch of bottles and get drunk and whatever? Or do we kind of think about what's the DNA of Chen Bleu? It's kind of the thinking person's wine. It's a little insider's thing. It's people who care, people who care how wine is made, why it's made that way, who share our values, who have the same mindset, who are pretty pretty much mindful people in what they do. And it kind of attracts organically a community of other people who have the same values, right? I can come halfway around the world and meet Sam and immediately we're going to be having so many things in common in terms of how we make wine, how we mind our soils, uh, et cetera. And so um, that's really, it was only going to be a one-off. It was to say, okay, yes, it's great that we've done X, Y, and Z, but now that we set our sights to, the next 10 years do we want to just play our greatest hits or do we want to think about what we can be doing better or be more relevant or more helpful and that led to well where is fine wine going and that's how uh, how this whole thing was born and yeah. so to your point no i don't have enough hours in the day i kill myself with work i don't see my family i travel constantly but i'm also constantly every single day on the phone with the winery checking on all sorts of boring behind the scenes stuff
1: did the bottle show up
3: which is not <laughs> did the
1: bottle truck make did it the up bottle that show <laughs> up
3: <laughs> hey that's a big one are, are you, that, you having big, so many labor
2: problem. and uh and supply shortages here
3: everything right, everything you name it we have it okay we have all the behind the scenes problems just like everybody else you know this is maybe not the the place to whinge about it as they say to to whine about those things because uh every every winemaker is going through similar challenges right now um to get bottles and to be prepared for what comes next but uh, yeah you just have to if you love what you do if you believe in it and you think that it has to be done uh i think you just do it and you'll sleep later.
2: Well, let's talk about some of your wines. Excellent. I got involved with you, oh, years, decades ago, I guess. And I was drinking Abelard, Heloise, and Abelard.
3: Yeah. Yes. And
2: now you've got a brand new Grenache it's, blend on the table that's that I right. have not so had before. Delicious. Delicious. beautiful. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's stunning. It has to me, oh,
1: the, the, you know, I don't know if Combi was directly involved in this or not, but it has. That signature black licorice, sort of like spine down the middle that he sought in Great Grenache. That was his like pinnacle of what Great Yay. Grenache should have. So that just, you know, to me, I think, I don't know if I toasted, we toasted Combi with that in my glass or not, but it uh, definitely, <laughs> I'm I, so I glad taste you, his you can taste
3: there. his signature there yeah. because uh, obviously um, Combi being yeah. the the king of Grenache and Alain Graillot helping us with our Syrahs, we, were, uh, we lost them both in the same year, and I'll, I'd like to raise a little toast to yeah. Alain Graillot as well, who oh, was Cheers. a great man in a completely different way, but also one of my mentors. Um, I've had the fortune of, of between those guys and Peter Seychelles, David Milligan. I mean, I've really been... Fortunate to meet some of the greats, of course, along with with Zelma, um, in in their active wine lifetimes, and um, and this Grenache has a secret ingredient, right? So you made reference to Abelard and Eloise; those are, of course, our flagships. Those are the ones that put us on the map. The Eloise being the Syrah with a bit of Grenache, and the in the kind of northern Rhone showcasing the cooler climate Syrah style that we have, and then the Abelard being the Grenache with some Syrah, and that one's, of course, in a very more Southern Rhone style. This one is not part of that family. Uh, they, there's little baby wine that's part of that family as well. This one is a separate animal, and that's because it has our first Mourvedre. Now, we fought long and hard for Mourvedre. That was a tough, tough battle because Everybody warned us at altitude, you know, yeah. b- being late ripening. That's not a go-to grape when you have a high-altitude vineyard, and um, we did struggle. We we planted a couple of hectares. We really wanted it. Uh, we have a great relationship with um, with uh, the somebody who makes uh, really great gr- Mourvèdre, the, the Château Pibarnon, Éric uh, de Saint Victor. He's really great. If he comes out here, you've got a pin him yeah. down yeah. um and he's got he was such a gentleman he's definitely one of the people who was very kind to us when we first started people were just very dismissive of anybody starting a new vineyard because they know how hard it is and they assume you're going to yeah. fail so you're kind of like innocent but anyway so great mulvedre lots of problems planting them finally they caught hold took a long time to come into their own. For a long time, we just put them in a rosé. So, you know, rosé has usually had a good Mourvedre backbone for the last five years. And this was our first venture into using it uh, as a GSM blend, which of course is not original per se. I think what hopefully gives it its originality is the fact that our Grenache, as you said, is very specific. It's a very high-altitude Grenache. It's got that licorice. It's got the, the much more savory style, the density, yeah. the concentration that you would typically not uh, expect from Grenache, right? Which is usually always the velvety, voluptuous mouthfeel, but never um, quite as, as uh, intense. And that's our secret. Because of our altitude, we like to think that our Grenache is concentrated by the wind and not the sun Mm. because it dries out those little berries. It leaves us with this very sticky juice and texture, but it doesn't have the heat and the alcohol levels, right? You're not getting that burning sensation on the back palate. And in this day and age of all these hot vintages that I'm sure you've seen go by, uh, not having the -the over-the-topiness on the alcohol is very uh very helpful. Like <laughs> I don't know, I just invented Speaking a word. Of that. Well, I invented it... Grenachista and <laughs> and I actually added it to the urban dictionary. If you look it up and you look up Grenachista you'll find my definition okay. in okay. there if you're surfing how, the weather. <laughs> how was
2: the uh weekend for the plants here, Sam? I mean a hundred degrees. It's you been know, so it's been so off this year.
1: Much needed. Honestly, like you know. Obviously, it's it's a hot weekend. It was a hot weekend, but oh, yeah. even on the the hottest day, we had a little fog in the morning, um, you know. And then the, then you had the you know morning when it was like eighty degrees at ten o'clock up on the top of the mountain. But these vines, especially after all the rain that we've had and, and the cold spring, they kind of needed some of that to snap like, out of vegetative growth and yeah. and start producing fruit. Oh. Um, you know. We were, I was actually thinking about our Vedra. There's a vineyard that I went into uh, around the corner from my house so I, I can lock the dog to it. Huh. And two weeks ago, the Mavedra was set and the Grenache was still in like mid-bloom. That's bloom, nuts. Which is, just okay, makes that's n- crazy. Totally crazy. That is uh,
3: so nuts. I've never heard that it, ever.
1: Like, it made no sense to me. Uh, so point being, we needed... We need these weekends of, you know, this week is going to cool down a little bit and then get hot again at the end of the week. At, at, you know, we complain about it. We note the strangeness of the weather that is, you know, global warming related. But at the end of the day, we grow grapes in a yeah. warm <laughs> grape growing right. region. And you need some It's summertime. It's well, supposed some, to be last California we, sunshine. We need some California yeah,
2: sunshine. Yeah. Well, last week, Phil said the grapes thought it was June 1st. Yeah. And and, it's and
1: maybe almost August. now we've made it to July fourth with this weather, maybe. And we're now, you know, whatever today's date is. Time oh. has an, very little meaning at the moment. Uh but <laughs> no, it, yeah, we needed we needed this warm weather. So, you know, and still worldwide it's a heat wave. Yeah. The coast of California is like the only place with cold ocean water on yeah. the planet right now.
3: And it's so, dangerous because be careful what you ask for, you may get it, right? Exactly. So it's always a fine line.
0: Nicole, I, I want to make sure we don't overlook the rosé that we tasted first yeah, and haven't talked about. Which is awesome. But the I rose. but I wondered if you could just talk <laughs> a little bit about, I mean, with 26% Syrah in this wine, a lot of times Syrah would totally overwhelm yes. the Grenache. And, right. and this is unmistakably has ganache, grenache in it.
3: That's for sure. And again it goes back to having this northern Rhone style grenache the the, uh, the Syrah this Syrah at, at altitude is going to be so much more like what you'll find in a in, in a cotroti it's going to have the uh, the restraint. Yeah. And so it's going to be there um happy to hold its place as a support uh, cast as opposed to your usual fatter bigger Syrah that you'll find in hotter climates which is going to have to beat its chest and you know get lots of attention onto itself right it's definitely an alpha grape so unless you have a very specific terroir it is going to take over
1: awesome thank you I think probably an obvious question this can't possibly be a field blend right you got to pick these three Elements at different times on the property yeah. To, yeah. to be able to make this wine. Yes,
3: so I'm glad that you raised that question because I think it is a stylistic characteristic of our winemaking. We are super... Naturally driven and hands off in the vineyard, where we have all the great biodiversity. Our amazing sustainability project, where we're doing tons of stuff with bees to show how they can make better wine. Blah blah blah, all very oh, sustainable- exciting. Oh, okay, <laughs> I thought that was just the, no no don't sustainability. sustainability. <laughs> don't know. Sam wasn't here for the uh, podcast,
4: but when Xavier was talking about bees and then how people don't necessarily correlate grapes and bees because right. of their self pollination. Yeah. But Xavier had a. It, go back and listen to that podcast it is yeah fascinating you can yeah, when totally about geek bees. out
3: on yeah. not just bees but bees and wine yeah. just because they vines are self-pollinating but they still have to pollinate from one plant to the other which right. is where the bees come in yeah, yeah. so it's a bit of a misnomer from that point of view anyway it's a whole topic onto itself yeah, totally. but um very exciting stuff also the role of of bees and pollinators in spreading indigenous yeast and a study we've done on that if anyone's oh, interested. Yeah. Uh, I guess if I you, super, to podcast, you know, to yeah. get Who super geeky <laughs> on all that stuff, bring it on. But um, going back to the bigger picture, the in the winery, we tend to be super, super precise and disciplined. This is not natural wine. We're not just throwing it all into a tank and see, see what happens. This is a lot of premeditation of thinking about... W- we have lots of small tanks thinking very carefully what we bring in when, how we vinify each tank separately. We've done all sorts of connections between the underlying micro soil sections with with the Elevage and the different barrel types. And we have, it's very uh, Excel d- spreadsheet driven um, to be super careful about how we do our blends. So we tend to blend late. We'll let the, the full Elevage, in this winery just the grapes in these small micro cuvées and then after we've done a long élevage with often a lot of oak because we like releasing our wines late so that we have time for the oak to integrate but then we get all the benefits of oak and none of the you know short-term over the you know overwhelming parts Uh, it's it's expensive and complicated to do that and it took me personally a really long time to get my head around barrel work because that did not come easily I was very panicky about that much better at the stuff that comes later with the blending and and tasting side because of how i came into wine more through the palate side than the hands-on thing so it was very stressful uh on the barrel side it's very easy to give up and just say oh i'm just going to make a Easy drinking, fruit driven, no oak, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, I think oak can really have its place, which probably is a good lead-in to the rosé because we actually do put thirty percent of our rosé on barrel for two months, which is a long time. Um, and Are these new barrels? Well, no, no not anymore. No, okay. They're usually Young, not. They're, younger, they're 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 used barrels. Yeah. Uh, they do, though, give a lot of advantages. Commercially, it's yet another nightmare because we have a lot of those because of the late release schedule that we're on. It's commercially very frustrating because the trade talks out of both sides of its mouth. The critics do, too. Yeah. They're all like, oh, this is so wonderful. The Vegas is here, release plan, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Meanwhile, they only rate, the, they do the roundups only right. of the usu- the current vintage. They don't even allow you to include your wines. Yeah. And, and here's the clincher. They don't circle back and check their work and say, they say, oh, this one's gonna drink great eight years from now or this or that. Yeah. No, do they ever go back and do a retrospective to see how those wines are actually doing in relation to the points that they gave, et cetera? So they're they're skewing a lot of the wine making in for the people in the fine wine world who do live and die by points they are skewing it to encouraging people to do stuff on the winemaking side, which is not necessarily in the best interest of of making the wines that will last forever and and do great for the medium term.
0: Can I get a hallelujah? (laughs)
3: Hallelujah! Anyway, hopefully that will change. And if there are young up-and-coming wine critics listening to this and they want to try to find their way into the wine world and make a name for themselves fast, I'd say that the the some of the more established critics have left the field wide open for some people to really have some interesting things to say in the fine wine world uh, about that kind of stuff. So back to the rosé, I'd say that uh, the other things that are very important to me Uh, This blend is totally different from its predecessors because of some realities in the vineyard that led us to being experimental after we thought we had kind of found our our secret sauce, our little magic formula that we loved with our Grenache and our Syrah and the Sanso and the Mourvedge and a bit of the... I'm not allowed to say Vermentino anymore. I'll have to wash my roll, mouth with soap. Roll. roll uh, or the Italians will come and, and get me. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, or the girl in the fake. Okay, there you go. There yeah. you go. So that was our, we, we loved that, and we would just you tweak away more. the blend that way. This year, we tried a bunch of other stuff, and it's actually a, a very different blend, but the big news is it doesn't have any syrup. Which is interesting. And one of our trademarks is that it ages very well. And I I will see how this one does. We think it's off to a really good start. It was drinking better earlier in its life cycle than, than other years. And it just has some Grenache Blanc and none of the other stuff. So, yeah, the, um, the aromatically. The Grenache, is Grenache, Grenache, Blanc. Well, and,
1: let's talk about that a little bit, um, how that fits in um from the winemaking perspective and what you think brings to i mean we love grenache blanc here in general on the show and in this winery um but adding it to rose seems like another um you know shun blue throwing the <laughs> throwing the rule book uh, out the window and doing what's best for the wine right uh
3: this year very much so it was very perfumey. it stepped in very well, in my opinion, for the roll um, and uh, and gave some of those lovely floral notes that I don't uh, always get from the Grenache Blanc. And I I hope that you picked up on how bright it is, right? It's really coming at you. No tartaric acid, right? We're at altitude. We don't have to put the tartaric acid, which means the wines are going to not start falling apart after a year or so. Uh, and also, ta-da, my Special thing, which is to not use any of the PVPP to fine it, and just use the ground organic green pea powder, which I think works well. Yeah. You work with that too, don't we, you? Yeah,
1: we do that, and
3: uh, that's we'll a godsend. That wasn't uh, that wasn't yet. available when we started the the uh, the ground organic green pea, and uh, luckily, there's been such a proliferation of products. Magic powders that you can use to tweak your wines, most of them are horrible and chemically based and they stick out like sore thumbs and and make your wine fall apart right away. But some of them, luckily, especially on the organic scene, are really great as substitutes for all the crap.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's really the
3: stuff can on the organic pop, side. Yes. You can say okay. worse than that. Okay. And we just, <laughs> for the, for those <laughs> people just... out
4: there that, that don't make wine, will you guys just explain what you're talking about when you're talking about the PVPP and using I... bentonite or smashed organic dried peas or yeah. what what, Pe- what is the reason for using those?
0: Well, PVPP is uh is a binder, you know, like bentonite. But bentonite is a natural product; it's, that it's mined, it's right. clay. It comes from the soil. PVPP is plastic. It's it's microplastic, and and we had a great conversation about microplastic with Xavier. Um, you know, enough it, already. I, I mean, like, I what's can, it going to take? <laughs> you know, and, it, and the ocean. I, I, I yeah. tell you what, yeah. I can I can still taste the PVPP. So. That I um, had to add to wines very early it in my career, right. you know, yeah. um, and it's just it's just nasty. It's and, nasty. but it's it helps bind things that are um, unwanted in the wine, whether yeah. it's proteins or tannins. Yeah,
1: specifically with white wines and, and rosés where clarity is is mm-hmm. highly valued, and you know, so people put things in there to make them clear right. when just you know a little bit more attention to detail in winemaking. Uh,
0: absolutely. And you
1: can, you know, use a whole lot less of things that are way less bad. Or or, or, <laughs> or, 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 or natural
0: all. things, you know? I mean, um, you know, whether it's milk or um, uh, bentonite or the dried peas, uh, you And the know, dried peas
4: keep it vegan. Got to take care of the vegans. <laughs> also,
3: yeah, I think it's important yeah. to... Uh, we won't go in at this point with time into all the different methods to make rosé but certainly <laughs> if you give yourself the luxury of doing a long cold fermentation with all the leaves that is going to give you the you know the the super gunk right it's fabulous it's giving you texture and flavor complexity all the stuff you like and that's going to transition your rosé from some kind of cheap and cheery coif by the pool into things that are going to be really structured and worthy and all the good right. stuff which is fabulous i mean what a luxury to do that but then you have this very opaque substance and you're going to have to take all the that gunk out and you're and and that's where the finding agents come in and yeah. that's why it's so important after you've done all that good work to not ruin it with a bunch of of microplastics
4: and yeah. you guys even found out i remember this is early on but you found that the using the smashed dried organic peas actually added a little bit of something to the mid palate. A lovely um,
3: vegetal uh, finish. It has yeah. a kind of smooth landing and then yeah. it has codali. You can actually count how long it stays in your mouth, which yeah. is not a character. Yeah Kodali? Kodali. Kodali, guys, guys. Gotta know your French, French wine <laughs> vocab. So a codali uh, is um, a very French wine term. Mm. It is referring to units of time to measure how long a, lo- a wine lingers in your mouth, like a 1-100, one 2-100. Uh, so, one Mississippi,
1: two Mississippi in, in America.
3: Okay, oh, really? okay interesting. Uh, so can I say Mississippi as fast as I can say 100? I'm not sure. So that would distort know. your scale. Yeah. So your Codalis are a very important Um, instrument to assess the quality of wines that have the aspiration to keep your interest for a long time that are not in the cheap and cheery game
2: I have a really succinct question: Why the hell would anybody think of putting microplastics into wine? <laughs> Where does that come from? Well, Plastic? It's in your, cheap, I mean,
3: and it, and the theory you, of the people who use it, their argument will be, oh, well, we take it out anyway. When, when we when it's finished pulling down the the stuff that's in the wine, we're going to siphon out the clear part and leave the gunk at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is that they do find traces of all that stuff, just like they find traces of microplastic anyway. In and even, even if you even if it doesn't end up in your glass, it's, go it's still ending up in your in your dumpster or your something. And that's still making its way, way far, to yeah. why. You know, that ship has sailed. There's so many other alternatives. Yes, they're more expensive, but they won't be if everyone starts using them. Well, And they're more
1: expensive right now on the surface. But the cost of using those for society, humanity, the planet, it doesn't get factored into when you buy that bag of PVP. I can't even say it. I don't even know where to buy it. (laughs) I do know where to buy it, but, uh, you know, just like subsidized gasoline, you know, you're not paying the full price of what that does to us. You're just paying at that moment up front, uh, you know.
3: Yeah and we're all at early stages of figuring out what the costs the long-term costs are and all that stuff and I know I'm on my soapbox and and I apologize no, I've done that's that that's personality type thing <laughs> where you do the 16 personalities and I I came out as a campaigner so I'm sorry if I uh if I'm saying that but uh but but I do uh, I do think if you just take an hour out of your busy life to watch that eating our way into extinction where you actually see under the microscope what happens when they put microplastic particles into a little bit of water and then they show this tiny little subplankton which then gets eaten up by the plankton, et cetera, et cetera. And they can trace it with their infrared whatever all the way into the fish and then all the way into the people. It's just yeah, nuts. But, Enough. It's time. We
4: should leave a link to that um in the show notes yeah totally uh, i'm totally curious about it
3: yeah i'm happy to give you a little short list of must-watch movies okay. and i promise they're not out there they're very serious and well documented right. these are not just uh you know
4: flat earth
3: flat earth kind of stuff yeah. um so not, uh,
1: not a john f kennedy jr uh, or no robert kennedy jr presidential campaign level of crazy like an actual <laughs> level of reality
3: that's right it's been very exciting to plug into the regenerative agriculture movement because there are people all around the globe that are looking for solutions and trying to make those scalable and trying to make those affordable and trying to help young farmers and people who want to transition, who are afraid of that that scary period when they wean themselves off of their chemical diets and they have their vineyards or their fields are vulnerable there are solutions that are coming up and again we've all got to work together to share best practices that's coming and in the Ventoux to their credit um, uh, I've been very impressed with so many of the changes that are happening Uh, I won't disclose publicly some of the things behind the scenes that have allowed some of the Serious producers to all start working together, move the dial and have leadership uh, at the Appalachian level that has really done an enormous job in just a couple of years to follow the Sonoma principles of getting everyone on board, making it easier, educating, peer-to-peer learning, etc., because uh, they've really cloaked themselves in biodiversity and the USP of being in a region that happens to have not one but two UNESCO biospheres and nat- national parks, etc. So we really have a first mover advantage in terms of getting a whole region to understand what's so important and exciting about that. And the wines are attracting. Uh, well, the vineyards are attracting people from all over the world. Those who were at Hospice du saw that we have like 24 different nationalities of young winemakers who can afford to buy cheap land uh, there, which they can't buy elsewhere, and have amazingly exciting micro terroirs that haven't been polluted by generations of, of chemicals. So, um, again, anyone who's looking to set up shop in the world and wants to join it's a bit like the brooklyn of of france in that sense where you can come and 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 buy buy some vines and buy now put, because
1: you won't be able to yeah, in five right, years.
3: right and and put in you know a while fixing stuff up and it's not going to be easy or cheap at the beginning yeah. but the upside is pretty unlimited
4: yeah your sense of urgency has been raised since the last time I saw you. I yes. mean, you really, your You're energy so right. level is Listen, different. Listen, I'm
3: from Manhattan. What did I know about biodiversity, right? I had yeah. my pigeons, my cockroaches, a couple of squirrels and <laughs> the odd rat. And yeah. and now I'm in the thick of things because, yeah. and I know that all of us, like Sam, who are behind the scenes making wine every day, we see what's out there. We see what's happening. And even if we didn't start off as ideologically you know motivated about this stuff you see the difference if you try it just try it take you know you're using your chemicals you have your little habits take a little piece of your land and try doing things differently and put in some cover crops and stop using the chemicals and and wait and see and see if you like what comes out of it and i'm pretty sure that you'll convert
2: yeah.
1: well and that's the the bottom line of all of this i mean the urgency climactically as a species on the planet is is well founded but at the end of the day the reason why wine is the place where we can make these changes and show the world these changes is doing these things also makes the wine better of you, course you taste it in the glass of course and if you taste it in the glass then all the rest of it you know falls in line at least in in my brain uh, today, yeah. anyway, there's not a lot of lines in my brain today. They're uh, all kind of squiggly. But shout out to Bill Walton. Shout out to Bill Walton. <laughs> he said, "Anything Phil wants, he gets." <laughs> uh, but that's why you know the regenerative farming. With, with Tablas Creek and now other wineries, you know, getting on the regenerative organic ding,
3: certification. Ding, ding, ding. How did you uh, do that yeah. when you... Tink, tink, when you... Right. I mean, and Jean-Charles Boise, and I know yeah, Morgan Twain Peterson. Oh I love uh, you so know, I much. Mean, those yeah. are such good guys yeah. because they're really good... On a human level, as yeah. well as what they're doing for for their wines and for winemaking more generally, and uh, they have something that I think is one of the most important qualities of anyone anywhere, which is a certain generosity of spirit, of welcoming newcomers into the wine world, making time for them, you know, all of that, uh, passing it on. I think that's uh, that's something that you guys are doing so well is making time, giving people a chance to show what they're doing. I mean, that's how we're going to go forward. None of this, I'm the best and look at me and I got more points than the next guy. It's (laughs) got to all be uh, something we do together. It's got to and it's got to happen now and the fact that people who are there, you know, we always talk about the Jackson family, Torres, all these people who have the platform to move the dial uh, because they get attention because everybody will listen to them and then the little guys like us at the top of our mountain, it's... It's like yeah. that. The tree falls in the forest. Nobody heard it fall. Did it really yeah. fall? Right. So if um, if
1: it's painted blue, more people hear it fall. Yes. Heard. There you <laughs> go.
3: Many people have come to see the fallen oak tree, and yeah. I hope you're going to come and see the new one. Come stay with us. We do have a hotel. We do have uh, a really great tasting room, and and all sorts of fun, you know, you know, tourism stuff. We won the trophy for best this and that in France and oh, all that stuff. Oh, it's beautiful. We spot. have to. Really we have one. to.
1: I want the best this and that no, you trophy.
3: have to. <laughs> 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 you have have to, because if you're small and, and in the middle of nowhere, uh, no one really cares if you live or die, right? right. Um, if I close up shop tomorrow, uh, will the wine world even notice? Probably not. Uh, wow. Whereas with those We'd guys notice. say yeah, stuff, yeah. and when this, those guys do stuff, people do take heed. LVMH, yeah. let's do a shout-out to them. You know, the fact that they're making all this noise about regenerative soils and world living soil form and putting their money where their mouth is just the fact that they want to talk about that and that they yeah. are talking about it in a, in a in a very public way, good on them because we can always find fault with something they didn't do right or they talked out of both sides of their mouth or we can embrace the fact that, that some of the bigger players are, are really getting behind this stuff and have yeah. the reach to change hearts and minds faster and better than the rest of us. Yeah,
4: and sometimes it's about the infrastructure. I mean, it's getting people of that size on board so that you can create roads uh for smaller people to jump onto i mean we're going through that with conscious container with the reusable bottles it's right. you know more of us want to do it but until someone larger comes along and then we can they can spend a little bit of money that we don't have to spend on it um and then you know as soon as you see craft macaroni and cheese and costco you go oh we've made it <laughs> <laughs> organic craft macaroni right. and organic cheese is craft like macaroni. you're like oh hey, finally General
3: Mills you know yeah, yeah. General Mills has done such a great job so my hope is that when I come back here uh, in whatever time it is and we have conversations about these same topics because yeah. they're not going away anytime soon yeah. we're gonna have an even longer list of people to celebrate and raise a glass yeah. to because uh, we're hoping that, that there that's going to become the norm and not the uh, the exception yeah,
4: yeah.
1: And in the the meantime, positive, the the positive, you know, aspirational uh, podcasting that, you know, may it be so. May it
3: be so.
4: Um, And the wines, as always, are amazing. we can,
1: Um, can we do quickly, like, uh, if you're listening, how you find some Shun Blue in your life, how you get some wine in your (laughs) life. If you
4: live here locally, you can get them at um, Sonoma's Best. So Todd Jolly always he's a fan of. Sean and he Blue. ships to some places, I think. He will definitely yeah. ship to you, um, and then the girl in the fig, obviously. And I know Nicole, you're meeting with Dan Chapman at the Fairmont tomorrow, so that will. Um, I I had the um, rose and the um, oh I don't remember Alio, was that the helloard maybe it was uh, yeah. no 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 I think oh it was my the God, I love Um but yeah, there's, apparently there's the a vienier that we need yeah, to find I, my two
3: whites high altitude. Roan Whites, not to be sneered at. No, I
4: think Vignet, Maybe find I tried at Hospice. I don't know. It's, it was one of those wines them, that I them. would seek out, um, but wasn't able to yeah. track down. It's. I don't think they a make a lot of Splash at it, of
1: it in the first seventeen seconds yeah. of the grand tasting, or it's all gone. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
4: What do you think about moving? Are you going to go up to Walla Walla for Hospice? Um,
3: I just saw that. Yeah. That's going to be exciting. Yeah. If I, I mean, can. you don't seem
4: to fear travel at all. So. Well, I don't have a choice, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean,
3: who's going to come to me if I don't um, Yeah. If I don't tell them who we are, what we're doing? They're never going to find their way to the top of our mountain. I'm still yeah. amazed at how many people will come all the way to Chateau Neuf-du-Pape and all those things, and they don't go off the beaten path, and they don't try yeah. to see what else is out there. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's exciting to to yeah. take hospice on the road. Uh, on, the road. Yeah, <laughs> on the road. run on the road. run uh, on the road. And, uh, that's, and a, that's, that's it. A and if, if anybody yeah. wants to find our wines, I'd say the quickest is to just get in touch with me, uh, Nicole.rolet uh, at and I'll always connect you with whoever is near you. But also, you can take a quick peek at just Googling stockist. Bleu, and there's a link to a pdf and also i spent all our, our time and energy making a google my map which can have some useful geo located oh, zooming cool. in to see yeah. who has what where that's uh, but that's really um, you know hard to keep up to date we all know yeah. how the wine world yeah. works and if you
4: work at restaurants wilson daniels um L- lori who happens to be the rep here and joan um stagnero are always um oh the trade is amazing
3: yeah. uh to be able to work with wilson daniels is a huge privilege they are yep. a superb organization and um and that's that's true that the trade is in good hands with them
2: what have we not
1: asked well, we'll save it for, well, you know, another 150 <laughs> episodes from now. and we'll, Okay. No, maybe 250 episodes from now to come back. <laughs> Hopefully we don't have to wait that long. No,
2: please come back more often. <laughs>
3: I love it here. It's a great part of the world, and you are, guys are great. What you're doing is great, and I'm so happy coming back and, and seeing how much you've moved the dial in the last couple of years, how many subscribers you have and followers. Uh, you're clearly doing everything right because you wouldn't be where you're at um, if it weren't the case, so I can, can only some of the congratulate some of the time, right? you on your, on your good work and your passion and your follow-through. Well, we're having fun so sure. you're doing a great job and i love thank you guys you. thank,
1: thank you. you appreciate
2: that any shout outs sam
1: oh man we got we got things happening and things coming up and I mean, uh we gonna to- talk
4: about Grenache day but um we're actually doing a three-day event for uh Grenache day in september so, if you're oh like so we can talk to you. We can talk to you. I think people. We, have, yeah, have don't, do
3: not it, so. push my Grenache button or we'll be here for another 17 hours. <laughs> I'm so excited about Grenache. <laughs> Part four please, of episode. Please, whoever's five. listening to this, mark your calendar. It's always the third Friday in every year. Or in case, uh, in Friday, every Saturday, September. Saturday. What am I saying? Right, in Friday, every September. September
1: uh, when we're all uh, really busy, <laughs> usually harvesting <laughs>
3: Grenache.
1: We won't be this year in California. Yeah,
3: there's there's lots of good opportunities to celebrate. And we have a fantastic organization. We have Marlene angelo's running it, who's a superstar. And we have a Grenache ambassador, Andy Abramson, who's amazing and super dynamic and um, making his own great Grenache. And uh, it's a really fun way for everybody to get to know the incredible variety of that great grape.
2: Is that it? Okay. You know, what well, do that's you cool.
1: Try train- and top that no you can't we just we just cut our losses and get out of here while we still have some can you you give
2: us a quick it was quite a music weekend in san francisco area Uh, we had the grateful dead dead and company company. at oracle park uh neil young was playing at the greek in berkeley and uh, Joan and i went to see our old 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 friend jimmy webb down at the freight and salvage which is a wonderful place what a
1: lovely little venue that is oh
2: yeah no kidding i enjoyed that
1: you know there's this article going around about the taylor swift economic (laughs) boost that everywhere she goes on this giant worldwide tour that you know all of a sudden restaurants are full and hotels are full let me tell you uh, if you walked around downtown san francisco this weekend the doom and gloom of the falling failing san francisco was nowhere to be seen it was deadheads everywhere filling up hotels filling up restaurants Uh,
3: david let's talk about the glorious weather that was lucky and and
1: perfect weather. filling up tasting rooms Um, right
2: david aguilar and and uh, roy blumenfeld played with the uh, barry Melton band in union square on saturday afternoon which is perfect you know peter album from big brother that's awesome yeah this is great music was a, a
1: great weekend to be uh, in in Northern California. Absolutely. As long as you can beat the heat. You know, drink too much. I have a little too much too fast, but uh, well, you know, we'll get there. All things in moderation. Unfortunately, moderation.
2: listeners, we get to go to lunch with uh, <laughs> yes. Nicole. we got
1: to get out of here. We have a lunch reservation at the Girl in <laughs>
2: the Fig. The Girl in <laughs> the, so. the
3: Fig. We love our girl in our figs. We
2: saw Sandra this morning. It was so nice. So. No
3: one should come to Sonoma and not go to the Girl in the Fig. Absolutely. And I, totally I guess agree. that's my last shout out, which is that... Um, Behind the scenes, the fact that wines of California and you know Henry Confort and the amazing people behind the the Sonoma wines, that they um, put their money where their mouth is, sponsor stuff like Arini, get the top people from around the world to come to stuff like that, and. And and actually don't sit around waiting for someone else to do the heavy lifting, but that they do their part. I mean that is a, a great a, a great thing. Even Harlan, everybody who really pitched in to make that Iranian global what it was uh, deserves to be talked about because there isn't that much wine money in the wine world, as we all know the hard mm-hmm. way. Slim and the people margins. who you know Usually they have, everybody the has direction. to make hard choices about what they support, what they sponsor, and what they don't. And the fact that you have enlightened. people people in your wine organizations that understand the value of having everyone come together from around the world to talk about the future of fine wine bodes really well for this region so a shout out to them
1: well if if you leave this with one thing it's you know the future of fine wine is it's an existential discussion you know it's about our existence and our future and you know we got to take My dad's grandkids, you know, three generations, at a dead show on Friday night. But that's what we're talking about is, you know, what what is the fine wine world that Althea and Hudson are going to inherit? Are they still going to be able to do this in 20 or 30 years? And One of our
3: projects is called Define Fine Wine. A lot of people have strong opinions of what a fine wine means to them. And we'd love to hear those opinions. Get in touch. We're making kind of a hologram of Mm. what fine wine is through all of that and compiling it all. It's going to be a really fun project. Yeah.
2: totally mind blown right i got nothing <laughs> yeah. Just so all right everybody amazing. thanks for listening and we are indeed the winemakers we'll talk to you next week thanks
3: yay yay